So when I was in high school, um, we had a group come through Albemarle called the Power Team, and they're just amazing. There's these, these huge dudes that got up and did all kinds of crazy things that you wished you could do when you were in high school, right? You just wished that you could do it, and you knew you couldn't. Um, and so this, this morning, we have a special guest speaker from that team. Um, it's, it's a, now they're called uh, the Next Generation Power Force. I'll read the whole bio in just a second. But they're going to be, and you'll hear more about this as he's sharing, they're going to be in our, in our county all week long in all the schools um, doing demonstrations. They're going to be uh, revival services um, at First Assembly tonight. Tuesday and Wednesday at 6 o'clock, I believe is right. Is that 6 o'clock? Yep. Um, it's always good when the person that's a lot bigger than you says, good job, <laughs> right? Always good. Always good. So let me just uh, read this bio. I, want to, I don't want to take any time away from the message you're going to hear. Fantastic message. You're going to love this. So let me read about John Jacobs and his team. John Jacobs is the founder of the Strength Evangelist Concept and Power Team. Now they're called the Next Generation Power Force. He has held over 3,000 crusades in 40 countries, from a bullfighting ring in Venezuela to record numbers in Moscow, Russia. His team has held over 30,000 public school assemblies in the United States alone. They have been in the world's largest churches, like the Potter's House with T.D. Jakes, Lakewood Church with Joel Olstein. He's been featured on CNN, People Magazine, and almost every major network. In the past, John has had a worldwide weekly television show that ran for 15 years, Fifteen years ago, Chuck Norris attended one of John's crusades where he accepted Christ. As a result, CBS did an entire episode of Walker, Texas Ranger featuring John and his team. Since John began this ministry, he has seen over one million people come to know Christ in his crusades. And the last and most important thing, John has a passion for seeing the lost saved, the brokenhearted healed, the depressed encouraged, and seeing Christ get all the credit. He has a team of people that go all over and speak, and this morning we are honored to have with us Jerome King, who is a former player for the NFL Chicago Bears, and even though this is Panthers Nation, he loves Jesus, and so we're going to welcome him like the gathering welcomes people. So I want you to give it up for Mr. Jerome King. Praise the Lord. Hey, well, let's keep clapping. Let's give Jesus one big hand clap. Come on. Hey, the Bible says that we should praise him in his sanctuary, in his mighty heavens. Hey, the Bible says to let everything that has breath. So if you're in this building this morning and you're breathing, how many of you think we should be praising the Lord? Amen. The Bible declares that we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. And I don't know about you, but God's called me out of darkness. And if I can't get excited about anything else, I can get excited about what the Lord's done in my life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's just give Jesus one more big hand clap. Praise the Lord. Let's give Pastor a hand clap for having a vision of reaching your community also and sharing this vision. Praise God. Uh, I play, my name is Jerome King. I play for the Chicago Bears. But you know what? My brother was the first defensive lineman ever drafted by the Carolina Panthers in 95. So I grew up in Panther Stadium, and I'm a Carolina Panther at heart, and I'll just keep pounding away also, Pastor. Praise the Lord. But you know what? <laughs> Man, no, they couldn't use me, Pastor. I can promise you that. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But, you know, uh, I, I'm out of shape, and I'm 40 years old now, but 
you know, uh, but praise God, I'm so happy to be here this morning, and I want to tell you that uh, uh, thank God for the worship team. I'm from a town called West Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, it's the home of Duck Dynasty. Uh, a lot of you guys seen it, and Duck Commander, uh, we're from the same town. We graduated with Willie and those guys, and, and everybody in that town is happy, 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 but I want, I want to tell you tonight in Albemarle and the rest of the week, it's not going to be a happy place for the devil, Amen. And you know what? I'm expecting the roughest crowd in the history of that church this week. And I want to tell you, uh, everywhere we go, I've been doing this for almost 11 years. But like I told the first service, I've never seen what we've been seeing in our meetings the last two years. And every single weekend, we've seen somebody get saved that's impacted the whole county. And recently, we saw a city manager, a federal judge, a police chief, a senator's wife. Uh, we were at a church, and the pastor had been there for 20 years, and his 88-year-old father came forward and gave his heart to Jesus for the first time. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. Uh, we bend things. We break stuff. We tear stuff up. But how many of you understand uh, we do that as a bait? And if you've ever gone fishing, everybody's excited about the catch, the fish that they catch, but nobody's ever excited about the bait that they're used. And God's given us a bait a tool to be able to reach people who wouldn't normally come to church. And you know what? 67% of the world watches wrestling, so we're just cashing in on something that the world thinks is cool. Amen? And you know what? I can't sing. I can't dance. Uh, I, I can't do MMA like you. I just watched the uh, UFC Ultimate Fighting Christians. They had a ring in the church, and they were pop, 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 uh, in Jesus' name. It was exciting. Uh, we gave a great, they gave a great altar call. But how many of you understand uh, I can't do those things, but how many of you know I found something I can do for God? And, when, and, and I want to tell you, nobody else was made like you. Nobody else has your fingerprint, your toe print, your retina print. And you know what that means? Nobody can impact this world. Nobody can make the same difference or reach the same people. How many of you understand God has invested in you gifts and talents that nobody else has? And when you use your gifts and talents for God, God calls that great. And ladies and gentlemen, we're just using our gifts and talents for God. And this week we're going to be in over 24 schools in your county. Come on, let's, hey, let's thank God for that. And this is a miracle. And you know what, Pastor, last time we was here, uh, one, we were doing a school in the assembly. And when we go into a school, it's not because we're great speakers, but we pray and ask God to send the anointing. We ask God to fill that building with angels. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, we average up to five students that say, hey, thanks for what you said. I'm not going to kill myself. Sometimes we average up to 10 students that say, psst. I'm not going to cut myself anymore. And ladies and gentlemen, as we were in an elementary school right here in Albemarle, and we were speaking, uh, one of the kids that came up and volunteered, his shoes were falling off of his feet. I mean, literally, they were, uh, they, he, he was a little, they didn't have very much money, and his shoes were literally tearing off of his feet. And every time he walked, his feet would get wet. Uh, and one of the guys saw this, and, you know, the guys got together. They pulled money out of their wallets that they had in that building that day, and they gave money to the principal to buy that kid a new, new pair of tennis shoes. And how many of you understand, sometimes all people need to see is Jesus with skin on, and one act of kindness, how many of you know that can change a whole city? And because of that, the teachers started crying. The teachers started crying, and that opened the door to 24 schools in this county. Now, how many of you understand only Jesus could do something like that? Amen? So I want you to call your friends, call your neighbors. This week, we're going to be at First Assembly of Albemarle. We're going to have a great time. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to tear stuff up. 
Uh, we have an original American gladiator who will be there. Uh, we had a guy that played seven years in the NFL. He'll be there. Uh, we have a, a former North Carolina bodybuilding champion who will also be there, another guy who played for the Dallas Cowboys. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, God is uh, bringing us all together, and we're going to do feats of strength. But most of all, you know what, uh, under the anointing of God, uh, we're going to get their attention. And we believe that if you can get a young person's attention, you can impart a message of hope into their heart. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you to uh, call somebody out this week. Uh, you don't even have to tell them about Jesus. Just tell them there's a bunch of big guys tearing stuff up. And you know what? God will do the rest. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen? God has done miracles in our assemblies. Uh, you know, uh, not too long ago, a guy came forward and his hair was wild and his shirt read something that you can't even say. And you know what? The guy was crying in church. And God spoke to John Jacobs, go be his friend. Because how many of you know Jesus was a friend of sinners? How many of you know God didn't come to hurt you? God came to help you. God didn't come to take away your fun. God came to take away your pain. And you know what this guy whispers to John Jacobs with tears in his eyes? He said that he's robbed two banks and that he's networked with the major crime figures and criminals in that county. So John tells him, cool, if you'll come out tomorrow night, I'll break handcuffs just for you if you'll invite every friend that you know. So next night, that guy walked in with over 19 men. And you know who they were? They were the leading crystal meth dealers and the leading crime figures in that county. And at the very end, at the altar call, all 19 of them came forward. They got born again, saved, set free. And you know what? The sheriff called us two weeks later, and the sheriff said, your meeting changed the atmosphere of the county. Now, how many of you understand tonight we don't need just another uh, uh Easter Katata or Christmas musical, but how many of you understand we need a God happening that shakes something up in this atmosphere? How many of you believe that tonight? So I want to encourage you to come out tonight, 6 o'clock, Tuesday night at 6 o'clock, Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, and you know what? I told that same story in Atlanta, Georgia a few weeks ago, and there was a sheriff sitting in the crowd, and the sheriff got so motivated, you know what he did? The next night, he brought the whole prison with him, 37 prisoners and over 19 deputies. And we had over 30 prisoners and 11 deputies give their heart to Jesus. Now, how many of you understand God's given us a tool to be able to reach people who wouldn't normally come to church? Amen? So I encourage you to come out tonight, uh, 6 o'clock. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, tonight you're going to see guys break bricks with their uh, arms. One guy may even break bricks with his head. We're going to be running through two-by-fours. Breaking baseball bats. Last time we were here, we smashed an unopened soda can over the pastor's head. And your pastor's going out of town tomorrow night, so he's gotten out of this one. Praise God. A lot of people wanted to see you get canned before you left, Pastor. No, but this is a great church, and you know what, Pastor, I really appreciate your spirit, and I appreciate this town. The people of Albemarle have been so nice and, 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 and so courteous and generous to us, and we just want to say thank you, and we're happy to be here pulling for your kids. And I want to tell you, this week, we're here to partner together as a team. Everybody say a team. You know what, we're here to partner with you guys as a team. And you know what, the Bible says that the same angels that watch over the children are always before the face of God. So how many of you understand when you pull for a child, how many of you know you're making an impact? And how many of you know you get God's attention? And how many of you think this church has God's attention this morning? Amen? Praise the Lord. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I have a phone book. I'm going to 
Uh, if you've ever seen us before, John and his teams, uh, this is what we're known for. Uh, John was on television for 15 years, and we have this thing called the edit button. We never miss the feet of strength, but in a live performance, uh, it's either going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen or the funniest thing you've ever seen. And what, you, what I have here is a telephone book, and we're known for ripping them down the middle like one sheet of paper, and that's not what I'm going to do for you guys today. Today, I'm going to attempt to bite and chew through it like one sheet of paper for you guys. And then I'm holding here in my hand a frying pan from Target, or some of you guys may call it Target. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a 12-inch thick, tough frying pan. And I'm in my church uh, outfit this morning, so I don't know if I'm going to bust some buttons or anything like that. God help, I have a jacket down there. But uh, I'm going to attempt to roll this thing up until it looks like an Albemarle burrito. And then uh, we're going to get right into the Word of God. Because how many of you guys are excited about the Word of God this morning? Amen? So I'm going to attempt to rip this phone book. I'm going to attempt to roll up this uh, frying pan. Then we're going to get into the Word of God, and we're going to close out this service. Pastor told me I only have three hours, so i got to get through it very quickly. No, I know a lot of people looking at me like, no, you just try it if you want to. All right, praise God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to attempt to rip up this telephone book, so I want you guys to get behind me as I attempt to rip up a phone book and roll up a frying pan for you guys. Come on. Praise the Lord. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you like what you just saw, that's only a small taste of what we're going to be doing tonight. Uh, God's going to attempt to break out of handcuffs. Uh, we're going to be running through two-by-fours. Uh, like I said, it's going to be a great thing. We've been knocked out over 28 times attempting to run through the two-by-fours. <laughs> and I think I've been knocked out those 28 times. But we're going to have fun, and we do all this stuff. Uh, we don't think we're the big stuff. How many of you understand Jesus is the big stuff? Amen. Praise the Lord on that. And before we start, uh, I want to close it out in one scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, if you have your Bibles, it's in the very back of the Bible, a couple of books before Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And before we start the message this morning, I'm going to leave you with this. Like I told the first service, you know, we sing about heaven. We talk about heaven, we dance, we can't wait to get to heaven. But how many of you understand, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be one more person to win for Jesus. There's not going to be one more person to make a difference in their lives. There's not going to be one more person to pull out of the ditch. How many of you understand, this is our moment. This is our time to make a difference for God. The Bible says that God put you here for such a time as this. How many of you know you've been born for such a time as this, amen? And that's to make a difference in lives. So I encourage you to call your neighbor, uh, invite somebody out. You know, I'm calling in runaway dads. We're calling in kids that are lost, uh, wives to get new Christian husbands. How many of you understand God's given us a tool to be able to reach people who wouldn't normally come to church? And you know what? You don't even have to tell them about uh, we're going to be breaking stuff. Just tell them there's a bunch of big guys, and, and, and you don't even have to tell them about Jesus, and God will do the rest. And how many of you understand it's not up to you to get them here? But it's up to the Holy Spirit, and God will still bless you, bless you for making the effort. Amen? If you have your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And ladies and gentlemen, I found out something. I found out that Sundays with Joel Osteen won't change your life. Wednesdays with T.D. Jakes won't change your life. Fridays with Charles Stanley 
won't change your life. But you know what will change your life? The Word of God will change your life. And the Word of God changed my life. And we, this morning, we need to be speaking the Word of God. Line it up with the Word. And you know what? The Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 says that the Word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. This stuff gets down into your joints and marrow. Come on, somebody say that's deep. It's a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, the Word of God will change your life. And the reason I know that because it changed my life. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking the Word of God in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And to always be ready, everybody say be ready, to give an answer or some Bible said defense for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I'll say it one more time. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and to always be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, let us pray over this word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for what you're going to do today. Father, I pray that you hide my faith behind the cross so that yours may be seen. Father, I pray for every person in this building that they would open up their heart to receive your word. Lord, today I know that your word has transforming power. And Lord, I know that the flower is going to fade and the grass is going to wither, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Lord, let your word speak to every person here. Let us not leave here the same. In Jesus' name, and everybody says Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and to always be ready to give an answer, or some Bible said defense, for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, the word sanctify means to acknowledge or to set apart time for the Lord God in your heart. Not just on Sunday. Not just on Wednesday night prayer meeting, not just on Friday night youth group, but each and every day we should set apart time for the Lord God in our heart. You see, God wants a relationship with us each and every day. But that's not the part of the verse that I want to focus on this morning because it goes on to say, and to always be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this morning what I want to focus on is hope. You see, I believe that a lot of people, not just in church, but in general, struggle with hope. Because the Bible declares that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You see, I'm sure every person in this building at some point in your life, you have put your hope into this world and you have been let down. But I want to tell you why there's hope in me this morning, although you did not ask me. You see, if you're a believer in this building, there has to be something different about you and people want to know what it is. You see, we do hundreds and hundreds of school assemblies each and every year all across the United States. North, south, east, and west, from Bangor, Maine to Kodiak Island, Alaska. We do elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. And when we go into an elementary school, first through fifth grade, and we ask the young elementary students, do you have a hope? What's your dream? You'll see 100% of the elementary students raise their hand. I mean, literally a kid will tote you out of the building if you don't pick them so they can tell you what they want to be when they get a little bit older. But as we make our way to middle schools and junior highs all across the United States, and we ask the young middle school students, do you have a hope? What's your dream? You'll see 60% of the middle school students' hands go up all across the nation. 
And then as we make our way to high schools, north, south, east, and west, and we ask the young adults, do you have a hope? What's your dream? You'll be lucky if you get 30% of the high school students' hands to go up all across America. And you know what that tells us? That tells us that somewhere between elementary school and high school, kids today are struggling with hope. Kids today are giving up on their dreams. All you have to do is turn on your television or read your newspaper. Kids today are struggling with hope. You know, one of the leading secular bands that came out not too long ago, the name of their album was, is All Hope is Gone. That's the message that's being sent to the kids today. All hope is gone. But I'm here today to tell you that all hope is not gone because the Bible declares that 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that you are of God's little children and have overcome the world because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You see, we ask the first through fifth graders, do you, what do you want to be with your life? I want to be the next major league baseball player. I want to be the next uh, NFL football player. I want to be the next WWE superstar. Come to find out not too long ago, one of the top wrestlers. He had all the money. He had all the fame. He had a beautiful house, a beautiful wife, a beautiful son. In the world's estimations, he had it going on. But come to find out not too long ago, he choked his wife and he killed her. Then he choked his son and he killed him. And then he hung himself. And you know what? For the life of me, I can't find any hope in that situation. You know, not too long ago, there was a teen thrill kill, 16-year-old boy named J.P. Orlowich. Him and five of his buddies, they decapitated a man's head. And the reason I tell you this today is because I as I looked at them, it's like they didn't even show any emotion. It's like they weren't even feeling anything. And you know what? I can't find any hope in that situation either. How many of you understand the devil's trying to steal the conscience and the identity of America's young people? And you know what, Pastor? It's hard to find hope in that situation. But I want to tell you why there's hope in me. Although you did not ask me this morning, you see, I have something that the world doesn't have. And if you're a believer in this building, there has to be something different about you. And people want to know what it is. You see, I grew up with big hopes and big dreams in a town called West Monroe, Louisiana. It was a town that struggled with hope. We only had one high school. I never knew anybody with money. The only people I knew with money were the gangbangers and the drug dealers with the big cars and the pocket full of cash. You know, I grew up in another obstacle. My dad was an alcoholic. You know, I used to watch my dad beat on me and my brother. He used to beat on my mom. You know, I'd hear my mom screaming for her life in the next room. I'd hear pictures being knocked off the wall. I'd hear dishes being broken as I could lay back there and do nothing about it because my dad was a big, mean guy and he was to be feared. So as a kid, I looked for love in all the wrong places. I was scared of my dad. I didn't have the relationship that a kid would want with his dad. But you know, my mom was a, a strong lady. You know, we, most people think my mom's dream was to own a big fancy car, a nice home. My mom's number one dream was to see the three men that she loved the most come to know our Lord and Savior. That was me, my brother, and my father. You see, my mom was a Christian in our home. I remember she took me to church every Sunday. The only drug problem I had was her dragging me to church every week. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I remember as I, as I went to church every Sunday, I knew all the stories of the Bible. I knew how to pray for people. I knew how to cry. I was on the usher board. I was on the worship team. But how many of you understand going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger 
God wants a relationship with you. And I didn't have a relationship with God. I thought that I could do everything on my own. You see, I was this big, strong, star football player in my town, and I thought I could do everything on my own. My brother made it to the NFL when I was 15 years old. Man, here it is. We have all the money. We have everything that the world says it takes for you to be successful. We thought, why do we need God? But there came a point in my life where Jerome King wasn't strong enough. There came a point in my life where I wasn't smart enough. There came a point in my life where I had to surrender my life to an almighty God and ask God to come inside my heart and save me. And I remember as my dad, he tried to kill himself. As I was getting a little bit older, I was playing in the NFL. You see, my dad was an alcoholic his whole life, and finally he had given up on life. And I remember as we rushed home, I wanted to crucify him. I wanted to ask him, how could you try to leave my mother after she stuck with you for so long when you didn't deserve it? I was ready to crucify my dad. But as I made it to this hospital, I seen a smile on my dad's face, and everybody was smiling, and I couldn't understand why. Come to find out on that hospital bed, my dad had just accepted the Lord into his heart as his Lord and Savior. How many of you think it's time to stop judging the man and start saving the man? How many of you know religion changes the outside, but only Jesus can change the inside? How many of you know religion will put a new coat on the man, but only Jesus could put a new man in the coat? And I saw God put a new man in the coat, so I knew the power of God was real. Nobody could tell me any differently. I saw a guy say, hey, I'll stop drinking, and then I'll come to church, or I'll change, and then I'll come to church. But how many of you understand it doesn't work like that? You have to give your problem to God, and then when God owns you, God will clean you up. Good luck with cleaning up yourself. That's like cleaning a fish before you catch it. That could never happen. You have to let Jesus catch you, and then Jesus can clean you up. And I saw God clean my dad up, but you know what? I still struggle with hope. I was playing uh, Chicago Bears. I, was, I got released. I started playing arena football. I started playing NFL Europe. I was trying to hang on to the material things of the world that it said it takes for me to be successful. And as I saw my brother, you see, I didn't look up to a Cam Newton or, or Luke Keekley. I looked up to Sean King, a guy that lived in my own home. And you know what? I saw my brother started to give his life to the Lord. He started reading, and as I watched him start to read, I saw his life begin to change. And then one day, as, he, as we were all sitting at home, his son caught a cold. And, you know, both of us grew up with asthma, so his breathing was acting funny, so we decided to take him to the hospital that day. And as we took him to the hospital, the doctor said, hey, we don't know what the problem is right now. We're going to have to keep him overnight because his oxygen levels are low. So as we drove home, which was a four-minute drive from our, our home, we went home to pack a bag overnight. And as we get home, we receive a phone call from the hospital. They say, Mr. King, you better hurry up back up to this hospital. Your son just went into cardiac arrest. So me and my brother, we drop everything we're doing, and we rush back up to this hospital. And as my brother gets to these doors, he can't believe what he's looking at. It's a frantic situation. They're rubbing these pallets together to shock his little boy's lifeless body off this hard hospital table. They're manually pumping air into his lungs to try to get him to breathe again. And as my brother stood there at that door, he couldn't believe what he was looking at. He said, man, the one thing that was making me change my life, the one thing that was making me make better decisions for myself, it could be taken away from me in an instance. So they hooked my nephew up to a respirator machine. For six days, the prayer team would come by and tell us about Jesus. 
For six days, my mom and dad would come by and pray for us and tell us about Jesus. But after six days, they brought my brother a stack of hospital papers. Said, Mr. King, there's nothing else we could do for your son. At best, we're going to have to give him a blood transfusion and helivac him to the children's hospital and hope he make it. But that's the only thing we could do. So they walked my nephew up to this roof of this helicopter uh, building to get on this helicopter. My brother couldn't even get on the helicopter with him that night. So as my brother rushed home to pack a bag to meet this helicopter as fast as he could at this hospital because it was a four-hour drive from where he lived, my brother broke, broke down crying in that house that night. You see, this was the biggest, strongest guy I had ever known in my life. But this night he had broke down. This night he had come to an end of himself. And I heard him getting angry and I heard him crying out to an almighty God. And the reason he told me he was so angry is because he remembered what this world told him. You see, our whole life they told us, man, if you could just get your hands on some money. If you could just get some money. You know, we had all this money in that closet that night. But money couldn't save my nephew. They say, man, if you just buy yourselves a lot, of, a lot of nice things, that'll help you. We would have traded everything we had. He would have traded everything he owned just to see his son live. So he knew it had to be something that was bigger than money. He knew it was something bigger than him because he had lost his will to live in that closet. He didn't want to take another step. You see, that night he was tired of being this big, strong football player who could never cry. You know, that night he was tired of fighting, helping everybody else fight their battles. He just wanted to be a father to his son. So he cried out to an almighty God that he did not know. He said, Jesus, I know you're real, but please be real in my life. He asked him to take this pain out of, this, out of his chest. He asked God to come and save him. That night he surrendered his life. And he had never surrendered to anybody. But that night he cried out to an almighty God. And God came into his heart. And I want to tell you how good God is. We left that closet that night. And we began that four-hour drive to that hospital. We didn't know if we were going to pick up a body. We didn't know if this ride would be in vain. We didn't know what to expect. But that night as we made it to that hospital, the doctors meet us at the door. They said, Mr. King, we know you've had a long drive, but we think we can save your son. They said, it's going to take a little while. He's going to have to learn how to walk and talk again. All over at two years old, but we think we can get him out of here. Lo and behold, after three months, my nephew walked out of that hospital. You know what? He's 15 years old, and he doesn't think there's a mountain he can't climb because we breathe life into him every day. And how many of you understand we need to breathe life into these kids? Today's kids are tomorrow's future, and these guys are so important. And you know what? I saw God work a miracle in my family. I knew that the power of God was real. Nobody could tell me any differently. But I still struggle with hope. You know, I was trying to hang on to the material things of the world that it said it takes for me to be successful. And as I moved back home to where our friends lifted us up every day, now they're talking behind our backs saying, man, they've blown their only chance. What a waste. And you know what? I had to hear these rumors. And you know what? As I... Went back home, my buddy invited me to an evangelistic service. He said, hey, Jerome, if you'll come to church tonight, man, it'll change your life. And I had never given anybody a chance to change my life. Always thought that I could change myself. 
But that night I was searching for something. That night I struggled with hope. And as I sat in the back pews, he was speaking on who Jesus is and what he can do in my life. And then he told me how he died this horrible Roman crucifixion so that I could have life for all of eternity. Then he told me how much he loved me. You see, I didn't know God loved me so much. I always thought that God wanted to get me. I thought that I had messed up too much and I needed a scorecard and I had to earn my way into heaven and my scorecard could never be good enough. But that night he told me that I was saved by grace. That night he told me that I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it, but that night he told me that I was saved by grace and that night grace came upon my life. You see, God began to reveal himself to me. You see, the Bible declares that our lives are hid with Christ, that if you lose your life to Christ, you'll find your life. But if you try to hang on to it, you're going to lose it. And that night, I gave my life to Christ, and I humbled myself. And the Bible declares that if you'll humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hands of God, he will exalt you, or he will lift you up. And that night, as I came forward and I gave my heart to Jesus, and I surrendered my life to an almighty God, as I stood there at that altar, the devil started reminding me of the person I used to be. You see, as I stood there at that altar and I gave my heart to Jesus, the devil said, oh, yeah, man, you're standing at this altar. But you know what? You've done some things wrong. You see, the devil had told me my whole life that I was nothing more worth, worth nothing else more than the number on my back. And I carried that burden with me my whole life. I thought that once I got through playing football, there was nothing else I could do on this earth. So I, he had me believing a lie. He had me condemned as I stood there at that altar. But you know what? I started reading the Word of God. And the Bible declares that the Word of God will set you free. And one of my favorite scriptures today comes from Romans 8 and 1. And you know what it says? It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after flesh but after the Spirit. And you know what that means tonight? That means there's no judgment on me because I'm in the Word of God. I'm in Christ Jesus. And the Bible declares that God redeemed me. That's right. He redeemed me from the curse. And the Bible declares that God purchased me, not with things such as silver and gold, but I was purchased with the precious blood of the Lamb, without a spot or a blemish. And the reason for the hope that is in me today is because that night at that altar, God saved me. He set me free. God wrote my name in the Lamb's book of life. And I know no matter what happens from this day forward, God Almighty has my back. Let's give him praise for that. Come on, how many of you know he's the hope? To the hopeless. The Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And to always be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. How many of you know he's the hope to the hopeless? How many of you know he's the father to the fatherless? Hey, God is a miracle working God. And how many of you know God wants to do something miraculous in your life? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? With every head bowed and every eye closed, you know what? God wants to do more than save you. You know, you ask, how do you get saved? Well, I want to tell you, it's your spirit that gets saved. But God wants to do more than save you. A lot of people let God save them, but God wants to own your life, your will, mind, and emotions. Because when God owns you, then God can fix you. I got to be honest with you this morning. We can't fix ourselves. The Bible declares that we're all filthy as rags without Jesus, but when God owns you, God can fix you. God wants to own your mess-ups as well as your strengths. God wants to own your fumbles as much as your touchdowns. You know, I see a lot of people giving God their touchdowns, but guess what? God wants to own your fumble because when God owns you, then God can redeem you. 
When God owns you, God can promote you. When God owns you, he can defend you. And when God owns you, God can clean you up. So this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you walk through those church doors, you say, Jerome, I'm struggling with hope. I want to be sure God's with me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning, God wants to own every area of your life. Every morning I wake up, I say, Jesus, here I am. Use me. You own me, Lord. You own my steps, the working of my hand. How many of you understand God wants to own your life this morning? And with every head bowed and every eye closed, this morning, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you know what? Would you just cup your hand as a symbol to the Holy Spirit? You know, there's something about symbols that move God. So this morning, I'm going to ask that you cup your hand as a symbol to the Holy Spirit. And if you can hear my voice in this building this morning, I want you to repeat these words. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you own me, Lord. You own my thoughts, the workings of my hand, the steps of my feet, the intents of my heart. You own me, Lord. And from this day forward, I'm a child of God. I'm going to step up. I'm going to speak up. And I'm going to announce, my God is able. Thank you, Lord God, for saving me. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Here I am, Lord. I receive salvation. I receive eternal life. I believe you're the son of God, and I believe you rose and died for me. Thank you, Lord God, for saving me. And from this day forward, I'm a child of God. My name is in the book. Heaven has me a mansion built. Thank you, Lord God, for saving me. And according to the book of Job, every word of slander, that's ever been used against me, my God is going to use to promote me. And according to the book of Isaiah, God is going to promote me. Thank you, Lord God, for saving me in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Come on, let's give yourselves a big round of applause. Praise the Lord.